Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 6, What We Need Most Now, Peace and Hope. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Today on Romans Untangled, we're going to examine a passage that gives us what we need most right now, that is, peace and hope. We've all lived through a very trying time in history these last two years, and and this passage could not come to us at a more opportune time, as well as to the people of Rome, as Paul unpacks the fruit of gospel realities in their lives. Hey, thanks for joining us. This is Pastor Steve Treichler, Hope Community Church here. It's a snowy day up here in uh, in Minneapolis. I'm in my very, very fancy multi-dollar studio here in my basement where it is toasty warm. I've got the fireplace on nice and nice and warm. We record these episodes about a week in advance, and so um, I just I just wanted to uh, pass on just some thanks for a lot of you who've reached out. Um, on Tuesday, February 15th, Carol and I, my wife, and I went out for a belated Valentine's dinner, and she had a, a gift card for Red Lobster, and that's where she wanted to go, and I was dreaming of those cheesy biscuits, and just as we sat down, uh, she just said, whoa, I don't feel well at all. And um, I'm, I'm like, whoa, okay. So I thought maybe, you know, she's dodged the coronavirus here so far. Maybe something's happening. And I said, what's going on? And she said, there's pain in my chest. And then the waitress came over and told us all about Lobster Fest and everything else. But of course, when, when someone just drops something like that, you're not paying too much attention to what's on the menu. Uh, the waitress left and I said, how are you feeling now? And she says, I'm not feeling any better. In fact, my arms now are, are starting to feel numb. And, and she said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Well, those are not exactly the words you want to hear. And so I said, well, where can I take you? And just instantly, uh, she said, well, let's uh, take me, take me to the hospital. So, uh, I got the truck, got her in it, and uh, I happen to remember exactly the time it was that we had sat down when this happened because we had made a reservation uh, for 6 o'clock, and we were a little bit late. It was 6.45, but I, I felt bad about that, so I kind of looked at my phone right when I was apologizing to the, the servers, and, and it was okay. They had plenty of tables, but I pulled into the, the emergency room at... Um, St. John's Hospital in Maplewood at 7.03. So it was only 18 minutes from when she first uh, had these pains emerge that we got her in. And uh, to make a very long story short, um, by God's grace and by the prayers of many people and the great care at St. John's Hospital in Maplewood, Minnesota, uh, she did have a heart attack and it was a very strange one. Uh, It's called a, a, a SCAD. Uh, spontaneous coronary artery uh, dissection. I think it's right. So her her arteries are clean, but a flap had developed up and had blocked that artery, and she did have a heart attack. But by God's grace, great great care, wonderful prayers and care from a lot of people, she walked out of the hospital 42 hours after having this heart attack and is resting now. Uh, even as I record this. And so thanks be to God. Uh, thanks be to everyone who prayed. And, and thanks be to um, thanks be to the medical staff there as well. 
And, and in an, an amazing way, um, this passage uh, rings true to what we just went through last week. And so I'll, I'll kind of talk more about that later. So anyway, just wanted to share that thanks and that little bit of news about the Trichler family and really praising God that that uh, he just provided for us in so many ways. This season, season two, we've been diving into one theological term. Just to understand some of these great doctrines, great ideas of the faith that have been around for centuries and centuries. And we want to do it in such a way that we we enjoy the word and enjoy the the, the different theological concepts we're we're discussing. But at the same time, we don't want to lose the the personal relationship, the 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 wonder and the majesty of who God is and who Jesus Christ is and the Spirit of God working in our lives. And uh, I did just do right there the word for today, and the word for today is Trinity. Um. The, the Trinity is a concept, uh, not it's it's a doctrine in the faith of the Christian that is obviously one of the most difficult to understand. It's that we don't have three gods; we have one God, but there are three persons of the Trinity: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me quote from J.I. Packer's Concise Theology: A Guide to Historic Christian Beliefs, and he says this on page forty. The Old Testament constantly insists that there is only one God, the self-revealed creator, who must be worshipped and loved exclusively. The New Testament agrees, and he gives a bunch of passages here where that's true, but speaks of three personal agents, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together in the matter of a team to bring about salvation. The historic formulation of the Trinity derived from the Latin word trinitas, meaning threeness, seeks to circumscribe and safeguard this mystery. And then he adds a parenthesis, not explain it, that is beyond us, unparenthesis. And it confronts us with perhaps the most difficult thought that the human mind has ever been asked to handle. It is not easy, but it is true. (laughs) So here's this beautiful, beautiful doctrine of the Trinity, which is the way God is, and and it is beyond us. How can this possibly be? There's even an, an ancient phrase that says, the Trinity, try to understand it, lose your mind. Try to deny it, lose your soul. <laughs> In other words, it's such an important part of the Christian faith that almost every single Christian church that has a statement of faith includes the Trinity in it. And so, and it's, and it's clearly in scripture. I mean, it, it clearly is there. Probably one of the, my favorite places to see this. And, and again, this is not a study just on the Trinity. We're just kind of looking at these great theological concepts of, of who God is and how he interacts with us. But it's from Matthew 28. It's, we often call this the great commission. And it says, then Jesus came to them. This is after his resurrection. He's telling his disciples, this is what I want you to do now. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But but it's very interesting here. He says, baptizing them in the name, not names, of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the name, one name, and yet there's three persons to it. And so as we think about analogies to try to understand this better, people have used all kinds of things. Like they'd say, like water. 
Water can be steam. Water can be uh, uh, ice, you know, a solid, or water can just be, you know, water where it's liquid, right? But the problem with that is that's true, but it's it's also not true in the sense that not one molecule of water, not one H2O uh, uh, molecule can actually be all three of those at the exact same time. And the same is true of an egg. People talk about the yolk, the shell, and whatever you call the white stuff, right? And so it's like, yeah, that makes up an egg. But that's that's not the way it really works because a, a yolk is not an, a fully an egg and a white stuff is not fully an egg and a shell is not fully an egg. It's an eggshell, right? And or some have said, well, it's like a person. A person can be a son. He could be a father and he could be a husband, right? Just kind of matters the different roles that he's taking. All at the same time, he can be those things. But again, all the analogies we have break down because God is fully these things, not just in, he's not just functioning as the father at some times and then, and then later functioning at the, as a, as a husband at other times. And it, it doesn't work that way. The, the formula is the mathematical formula of the Trinity is one plus one plus one equals one. Now, as a math teacher, that's horrible math, but as a theology student, that's wonderful theology. So the only analogy that actually works is where if you draw a triangle and you put uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on each of the three corners of a triangle, and in the center, you put the word God, and you draw a line from the center outward to each one of the three parts, and you say is. So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But between on every one of the legs of the triangle, if you have an equilateral triangle, they'd all be the same length, uh, you'd write the word is not. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The the Son is not uh, the Holy Spirit. And maybe I got those set up twice. I'm not sure. But you get where I'm going with this. So you're, you're kind of going, wait a minute now. How in the world can this possibly be? I mean, how can, that doesn't even... I can't fathom that. And and I think a lot of things in, you know, if you really study science and I had the opportunity to start my uh, educational career uh, in, in chemical engineering, I took a lot of chemistry and physics and there's a lot of stuff we don't understand. Like light is both a particle and a wave. Well, that can't be. Well, it is. And there's a lot of things in life we go about. I don't have a really, I mean, I'm sure I could try to figure it all out, but I don't really know how this microphone works I'm speaking into right now. And yet I rely on it. And so just think about these are things that we've created, microphones, computers, lights. And yet we don't stop and go, well, I don't completely understand that, so therefore it can't be. Now think, multiply that up towards the infinite, awesome, majestic God. Well, maybe there's parts of him that I will never fully understand, but that doesn't mean they're not true. In fact, if I completely did understand God and knew all of his ways, then wouldn't that put me in a superior position to God? So that's our, that's our, week, or that's our word for this week, uh, Trinity. We'll continue on with more of these great theological truths. Now, on to Romans. Uh, and it's been very heavy in the book of Romans. We have been, if you've been following along, 
in your Romans Untangled podcast for, uh, this is your second season, we do- dove into, in, in uh, episode six of last year, and there was 15 episodes plus a couple bonuses last year. We're in episode six this season. In, 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 uh, in episode six of last season, we talked about the wrath of God being revealed upon the godlessness and wickedness of us people who suppress the truth, right? And it's been heavy since then, really heavy. And, and Romans five, uh, one, to five, especially, but it's going to go all the way on, uh, all the way till we get to, to verse 12 when he's going to dive right back into the theology. It's kind of like I view it as like we're, we're swimming and we come up for air. You know, a swimmer takes a couple strokes and then comes up for air. Well, this has been a long, I mean, we've went the whole length of the pool or maybe twice and now we're coming up for air. And that's Romans five, one to 11. And we're going to enjoy that this week. And also uh, next week. So we get a chance to come up for some air here. And the air here is absolutely beautiful. Let me remind you where we've come just recently. Uh, the the bad news of the gospel goes from Romans 1.18, the wrath of God being revealed, all the way through Romans 3, verse 20. And then it starts out in ver- chapter 3, verse 21, where it just says, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made, has been manifested, has been revealed, uh, and it's by grace. And we see this grace of God expressed to us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. And then we talked about where is boasting as a result at the end of that chapter. And then all of chapter four, we looked at this last week, is Paul having a solution to the way that God uh, deals with humanity And he tests that solution, that it's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting God. He goes back in and plugs that solution back into the equation uh, of the Old Testament. Remember, we talked about an algebraic equation and X equals five, and you go back in to see if it actually works. And that's what Romans chapter four is. Does the solution actually work with Abraham, mostly Abraham, a little bit of David, and just saying, does this fit the storyline? And Paul's answer is it certainly does. And And that brings us then now to a huge piece to Paul bringing us up for air. Now, just a little spoiler alert here. He's going to go right back into it in 512, and he's going to keep us down there until we get to the end of seven, and then there's going to be another therefore in chapter eight. And a lot of people just absolutely love chapter eight because it's this beautiful, beautiful section on the implications of the gospel in our lives. But it's like Paul can't help himself here. He says, you've held your breath long enough. I'm going to give you a little air. And here it comes, Romans 5. And I'm just going to read 1 to 5, but it goes. this section kind of goes through 11. We'll hit the other part of it next week. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured into our because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Oh, this is an amazing passage. I hope you have a Bible in front of you and and we can go through this a little bit line by line. So let's pick it up in verse one. 
says that we've been justified by faith. Now, we've not covered this word. We are going to cover this word in our theological terms. Justified basically means being made, found, not guilty. It has a lot more implications than that. We're, we're, we have uh, been made right with God. And a simple way to think about it is to say, it's just as if I never sinned. It's kind of maybe a little overly simplistic, but it's not a bad place to begin with. But listen to this. Therefore, since we've been justified by, by faith, we have peace with God. Now, uh, most of us have grown up here that are listening in, in, in this podcast. I know there's some international folks as well, but most of us have grown up here in America where we have had times of, of war, but they've never been on our home soil. Uh, you know, we've, we've never had like, you know, been taking over, taken over by another country or, or some of those things. And so, uh, the, the idea of peace to us is, is a little bit different than I think what the original readers would have known that, that a time of peace and, and Rome was experiencing a time of peace at the writing of this letter would have been where there, there wasn't this threat of, of quite frankly, just people invading even your home. And so here you have um, you have this idea that that we have now have peace with God. We were at war. We were His enemies. You remember we were we were subject to His wrath. We were found wanting, and even on Judgment Day, uh, for sure, this is all going to take place. And yet, we have peace. Now, the closest I can think about this, at least in my family, was in, in during World War II, my grandfather was the air raid warden for Fertile, Minnesota. Fertile, Minnesota, during World War II. This is a little tiny town out in, out in western Minnesota by Crookston, if you know where that is. I mean, it's, it's a little farming community. And yet he made sure every night that there was no lights on and that the German bombers could not come in to fertile Minnesota to bomb it. <laughs> and I don't know what they wanted, the beans or the corn, or I don't know what they were after. But they, people lived with that. They believed that that was very possible, that the, there could be a German invasion or, or perhaps a Japanese invasion during World War II because we were at war with them. They lived in fear. They sent their own over to fight overseas. In it was war, and I asked my mother about this. What was it like when the war was over, when World War II was over? And she, I can just see it on her face. It was. It's just this beautiful time of like, oh, it's this rest. We're at peace. I don't. I don't. I don't always. I'm not always tense. You know, the you can feel the muscles in your back and your neck kind of tense up. And now you have peace. That's how Paul begins this. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How sweet is that? Verse two then says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So he's saying here that we've obtained access into this faith and by that, we're in, we're, we have access into the very, very essence of God. It's not just that we're as if we hadn't sinned. We have a relationship with God Almighty. 
In his new commentary on the book of Romans, Daniel Doriani, and I apologize if I'm getting his name wrong, I've not had a chance to meet this gentleman yet, but he, he has a wonderful analogy I want to share with you about this, this access we've gained into the grace of God. He talks about a situation where his wife was distracted by their daughter, and she didn't see a stop sign. She went through the stop sign. She ended up hitting a car, and that car happened to be driven by uh, an off-duty police officer. <laughs> the police officer was not happy, uh, actually pulled out his book and wrote her a ticket that ended her, uh, landed her in traffic court, where she tried to explain things to the judge of what happened. And she was so nervous, and all this took place. And the judge, it says, and I'll, let me read this uh, paragraph from, from Daniel. It's fantastic. He says, in traffic court, my wife stood before the judge for 90 seconds. He listened, rendered a decision, explained it, and dismissed us. We never knowingly saw him again. But the Lord is a different sort of judge. Instead of dismissing us, he strikes up a relationship. Imagine ourselves back in traffic court with this kind of judge. In this case, the judge sets my wife free, reporting, someone who loves you has already paid the penalty. Then he engages her. My notes say that you're quite a singer. I'm in an octet, and we're seeking a vocalist with your range. I also see that you have skills with watercolors. I wonder if you and your husband could join my wife and me at an exhibit tomorrow. The session might end with a hug and chicken wings. In this scenario, God is like the judge. He does more than declare us innocent or let us go free. He establishes a long-term relationship with us. Now, now I've had not had a chance. That's the end of the quote. I've not had a chance to read a lot of this commentary. And admittedly, it's not the way most commentaries are written. But there's times when you just need to be shaken a little bit and understand what Paul is getting after. And that's exactly what he's trying to get after here. That we've gained access into this, into this uh, by faith, into this grace in which we stand. That's beautiful. And that's what we have now with God, a relationship with him. And then it says, check this out. In verse, uh, the second part there of verse two, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we had peace and now we have hope. Now, the crazy thing there is if you look back in the book of Romans to where that phrase glory of God is used, <laughs> it's used a few times, but two that stick out big time, are Romans one twenty three, where we exchange the glory of God, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, right? We exchange the glory of God for, we exchange the glory of the creator for creation. Paul summarizes this then in Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, where he says, hey, there is no distinction. And he means between Jew and Gentile here, all people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And yet now, because of what Christ has done, the judge who now pronounces us uh, guilty, but someone else has paid for it. So guess what? You're free. Also enters into a relationship with us so that we rejoice in the glory of God. Then Paul shifts gears here a little bit and says in verse three, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this is, this is an amazing section of scripture, and you can't just start in verse three. If you do, that's crazy. No one rejoices in your sufferings for suffering's sake. The whole point that you call them sufferings are because they're hard and they're not the way it's supposed to be. It's because we live in a fallen world. No one rejoices in that alone. That's ridiculous. You have to go back to the first two verses of this section in order for it to make any sense how you can rejoice in a suffering. And he says, the joy set before us because we have peace with this God who we are at war with. And not only that, but we've been invited into this grace. We've been invited into this relationship with our wonderful God. Therefore, regardless of circumstance, we can have hope now. And he follows a train of thought here. He says that we're going to have hope and it's going to come, but it comes this way. Sometimes we suffer. That's suffering as we go through it. And we hang on to the vision we have of what we have in Christ. As we hang on, that produces endurance in us. And as we hang on to that endurance, it actually shapes the character of who we are. And when we hang on to that character, that character in us is going to refine this hope. It starts with hope. It ends with hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This last week, we definitely felt this. No question about it. We definitely felt um, God's hand upon us. When I, you know, that because of coronavirus right now, and it's just waning here in Minnesota, and so probably in a week or two, this will change the policy. But for right now, in the ER, when I brought her there, I could check her in, but after that, I had to, I had to go, and they, I could either sit in a waiting room somewhere, or I just went out to the parking lot, sat in my truck. But I remember I, uh, I, I looked at Carol, I kissed her, and as she's laying there on the on the uh, hospital bed, being going to be wheeled into getting some tests to see what's taking place, uh, we just said that we loved each other. And I, at that moment, uh, I did not know if I would ever see her alive again. And she didn't know the same for me. And I remember looking at her eyes. And her eyes said something to me that hit me. And it was, I love you. And if these are all the days that the Lord has given me, it's okay. I mean, she didn't say that, but I knew it. And I felt like the Lord was saying that too. That I have this. I knew that he had it. And I didn't know if she was going to be okay. But I'm not going to lie to you. I had an incredible amount of peace. I just felt this overwhelming supernatural peace come upon me from God that he had this and that he's in control. And that one day all things will be made right and there won't be any more heart attacks. There won't be any more struggles. God sustained us through this whole time. With that. Now, again, I, I'm happy to report things have turned out great. That's, that's wonderful. But they don't always. They don't always. And yet, God is still just as good. And His hope is still just as true. 
For me, I, I struggled with this when I first became a follower of Jesus, and I, I fell into a time of depression. And I thought to myself, how in the world can a follower of God, a new follower of Christ, fall into depression? What's wrong with me? And I felt bad about my depression, which is ironic because now you feel worse. You feel guilty, you feel shameful about your depression, not just because you're depressed, but because I'm a Christian now, I shouldn't be depressed. And there was little things that helped me to come out of it. But one of one of which was I had visited a church, and I don't even remember where the church was. But the pastor had written a letter, you know, when you fill a little card out. In the old days, you used to fill a little card out, or there was a, there was a pad that went down the, the pew, and you put your name and your address. And if you're new, you check the boxes, I'm a visitor. And he'd sent me a letter. It was kind of the standard letter that they sent people. I couldn't tell you a thing that the letter said. But I will tell you this, the way he signed the bottom, and he had personally signed it, you know, I've been a pastor for 25 years. Back in the day, we used to do this. I have signed hundreds, if not thousands of these. And the way he signed it at the bottom was simply this. It said this, yours in the struggle, comma, and then his name, which I can't tell you who it was or anything, yours in the struggle. And that really ministered to me. Because it was like, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person here. This guy, I'd really appreciate his preaching. I think I was just visiting out of town somewhere. I, I, I honestly don't remember. But he had acknowledged, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. But it's a hopeful, joyful, satisfying struggle. So if that's you today, and that's where you're at, I, man, I want to encourage you with Romans Five, one to five. Take some time this week. Go back over it and, and just let yourself go and feel the peace and the hope that God wants to give you through this beautiful passage. Next week, we're going to look at uh, Romans 6, excuse me, Romans 5, 6 through 11. And we're looking at a couple things here, how that answers the question, how the resurrection of Jesus is part of our salvation. And also we'll look at the idea of what, what does it mean to boast? How do we have biblical boasting? So it's not prideful, but it's actually really good and healthy boasting. I love y'all, even though some of you have never met you. I love y'all. Have a fantastic week. Mm-hmm.